Well, today we are starting our new series, Man to Man. But before we get there, man, isn't it so good just to hear the story of Jesus through little ones getting baptized? I mean, to see the child uh, like faith. Yeah, I've had a... I've had the privilege of knowing uh, Jason and his wife, Katie. We were in a community group together, so I've had the privilege of seeing Brooklyn and Sydney grow up, and it's just so cool to see them uh, profess their faith in Jesus and follow Jesus um, as 9- and 10-year-olds. It's so cool to watch that happen. Also, what is equally cool is uh, to watch people of Crossroads do uh, some pretty cool things in and around our community. Uh, All of us know that yesterday was uh, September 11th, which first and foremost means that it was my 9-year-old daughter, Mercy, sweet Mercy is what we call her, It was her birthday, and so this is her yesterday with her baby Yoda cake celebrating nine years. And, uh, but also yesterday uh, was the 20th year anniversary of us uh, remembering the events of 9-11. And if you're unfamiliar here in Denver, since about 2005 or so, there's been a, a regular event that's happened where firefighters from really all over gather together and they climb 110 stories uh, in a building in downtown Denver. They do this one actually twice. Uh, emulating what went on on September 11th with the New York firefighters climbing 110 stories uh, in order to save people there in New York. And this event happens every year. This year there was 262 firefighters who participated in this event. And um, our very own Steve Shireman, who owns Blessed Barbecue and a group of uh, Crossroads guys went down to serve uh, these firefighters as they did this together with some barbecue. And so they were cared for, they were prayed for, uh, they were served some good food, they went home with barbecue sauce from Crossroads Church. And as the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church, it just lights my heart on fire to see people live out the mission and vision of Crossroads to be a light of hope for Jesus in the community. And so publicly, I just want to say thank you, and I want to applaud them uh, for their work uh, this last, yeah, for yesterday. It's so, so cool. Well, I want to say uh, good morning uh, before we get too much further into this. To those of you joining us online, it's good to have you wherever you may be, as well as Fort Lupton, and of course you here at Thornton. If we haven't had the privilege of meeting, uh, my name is Matt Manning, and like I said, I'm the senior pastor at Crossroads, and today uh, we are starting this brand new series called Man to Man, and as we get started into this message series, I just want to be really, really clear uh, with my intentions and my motivations through this series, that over the next couple of weeks, next five weeks, I'm going to talk uh, specifically to men. And the reason that I'm going to do that is, one, I feel as a man, I'm a little bit more qualified to speak to a man. But the truth of the matter is, is that every guy knows is that every once in a while, we need a kick in the you-know-what to get us moving. And so we're going to embark on this man-to-man journey. Now, as I say that, I want you ladies to know that I'm not going to forget about you. In fact, this series, Man to Man, is as important to the ladies here as it is to the men here. And the reason for that is because every lady here has a man in their life. Whether that is a father to uplift, a husband to cheer on, a son to lead, a brother to spur on, or a brother in Christ to encourage, every woman here has some man in their life that they need to call up in order to be the man that God has called them to be. And so as we start this new series, uh, we are going to look at what it means to be a man. Because more than ever, more than ever, I believe that there's confusion in today's society, in today's culture, of what it means to be a man. You can turn on any streaming service and you can pick any show and you have about a 90% chance, statistically, of the first character that you see on that show being a male. 
And if you're about my age, uh, you probably grew up on shows that taught us what it looked like to be a man, at least from the world's perspective. It gave us a vision of what masculinity looked like in our culture. From kind of the bumbling idiocy of Michael Scott in The Office, to the dopey husband in Everyone Loves Raymond, to the uh, jovial playboy in Jerry Seinfeld, to the American self-made man of Don Draper in Mad Men. And we sit back and we watch these shows and we have to ask the question, don't we? Like, like is this what masculinity is all about? Is this the picture of what it looks like to be a man? You can spend time with guys on any college campus and you'll soon find the pretty quickly you'll find the confusion of what it looks like to be a man. It may be summed up best in, in this poem written by an anonymous young man. He wrote this poem, it goes like this, what is a man? Is he someone who is strong and tall or as taut and talented as he plays ball? Is he someone who is hardened and rough, who smokes and drinks and swears enough? Is he someone who chases women hard with a quest to conquer but never dropping his guard. Next slide. Is he someone with a good business mind who gets ahead of the others with his nose to the grind? Or is he someone who tries his best, not really caring about any of the rest? What is a man, does anyone know, tell me? Now the reality is, is that probably many of us, many men in the room, probably resonate with at least a piece of that poem. And now, more than ever before, men are experiencing a crisis of identity that is leveling all the way to the depths of our soul. That boys are growing up believing that their parents do not love them. Boys are growing up to be men believing that their peers hate or despise or disrespect them. And as we watch through culture, we, we see guys who are growing up who have no vision of what it means to be a man. And the result at best is confusion as we rock into dead end after dead end. At worst, it manifests itself in this self-loathing that is the beginning of trouble in a man's life, whether that be through violence or drugs, promiscuity, or even suicide. And with all of the negative stuff that's out there, I believe that men need a vision for their lives, that men need a positive vision of, of what men can be and what men can do. One of the verses that I just love in Scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, where Paul writes these words. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. And in many ways, that's where our culture is today, isn't it? And I think that when we look back on Paul's day, maybe the steps were a little bit easier in understanding what it looked like to be a man or to become a man. In our culture, maybe it's a little bit harder, but I just believe, and I just might be naive, but I just believe that we can restore a sense of understanding with a clear vision of what it means to be a man. And listen, this is personal for me. I have two boys that I'm growing up, hopefully to become men, and when my oldest, Theo, was two or three years old, I read a book called Raising a Modern Day Night that absolutely changed my perspective in the way that I viewed masculinity and manhood. And in that book, Raising a Modern Day Night, it really speaks to what it takes to have a boy become a man. And out of that, I committed to myself of, of determining and understanding what is it that it looks like to be a man. Like, what is a vision of manhood? And so inspired by Robert Lewis, 
I determined that a real man would live by five values, and those five values are these. That a real man will reject passivity, that he'll accept responsibility, that he'll lead courageously, that he'll live wisely, and that he'll live for the greater reward. It's these five values that really make up the vision of manhood. And once I understood and determined these five values that I decided for myself that I was going to challenge myself to live these five values out in every aspect of my life that I could. And as I began to live these out, I also determined in my life that I was going to teach my boys these values. And so I came up with this idea that every uh, time one of my boys turned 10 years old, so when they each turned 10, that we would go on this 10-year-old trip. Now, the 10-year-old trip is a boy's adventure where adventure is expected and fun is to be had, but also during the trip that I would take time to explain these five values, how they're lived out in my life, how they can be lived out in their lives, and how they can be shaped by these values to become the man that they were created to be. After the trip, I would come home and I would challenge my boys to, to memorize these values. And, and once they memorized these values, that they, would, that they would get this, that I would hang in their, in their bedroom so that every day they could be reminded what a real man is, that a real man rejects passivity, that a real man accepts responsibility, that he leads courageously, that he lives wisely, that he lives for the greater reward. And after they received their, their poster here, we would start having a breakfast with dad. Every month we would go out for a breakfast where I would take each of the values one by one and I would teach them to my sons, that I would teach them what it looks like to live these out and to be the man that God is calling them to be. And so last summer, about this time last summer, my son, uh, turned 10. My middle son, Cademan, turned 10. And in my excitement, I, I posted on social media about the 10-year-old trip and that I was going to take the opportunity to teach my son what it looked like to be a real man. And I just listed these five values. And let me tell you, it was the most interacted with social media posts that I've ever made. I mean, people started messaging me and emailing me, asking me to go deeper and what is it that I did and, and to explain more. And I just sat back and I thought that if there's this much interest then I need to use the platform that God has given to me to teach and to lead this. So in the great words of Ray Arnold from Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts because we're going to do this together today. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, whether it's a paper form like Jesus used or on a pad or a phone like I use, either way, turn it to Genesis chapter 3. It's where we're going to be in a few moments. And as you turn there, I want you to know that this vision of manhood didn't just come out of anywhere. That like with most things that are important or significant in life, the Bible brings great clarity and understanding. See, when we open the Bible looking for a vision of masculinity that transcends what our culture says a man is to be, there's this aha moment waiting for us when we realize that we are given two examples of masculinity. The first one we find at the very beginning of scriptures in Genesis, we call him Adam. The second we find in the very beginning of the New Testament, we call him Jesus. And we have this aha moment and realize that we're given these two pictures of masculinity. And really in these two symbols of masculinity, we're given two different versions of life with two different destinies. And when we sit down and compare the masculinity of Adam to the masculinity of, of Jesus, we get a compelling vision of manhood that we get a clear sense of what being a real man is all about. And as we dive into that very quickly, we discover that a real man rejects passivity, that a real man rejects passivity. That when we go back to the beginning, 
looking for a vision of manhood, what we come upon in Genesis is that we're introduced to a man named Adam. Now, if you're at all familiar with the story, Adam is placed in this amazing garden. We call it Eden. And he is asked to take leadership of that place and to be aggressive in that leadership. Now, Anybody who's ever been around a young boy knows that aggressiveness is not trained. Aggressiveness is just innate in little boys, aren't they? I mean, boys are just aggressive. It's just like inbred into us. In fact, thinking back to my first child, Theo, my oldest Theo, by the time or when he was a young baby, before he could even walk, every toy he picked up what turned into a sword just automatically turned into a sword. So being the good father that I am, I decided for his first birthday that I was going to get him a lightsaber. And for his first birthday, he loved that lightsaber. I mean, it was, I see you in the back with your lightsaber. Yes, look at that. Yes, that the lightsaber that he just loved. For years, it was his favorite toy, his lightsaber. Later on, Once he began to talk, he would climb on anybody who would take him, and if you held him, he would look at you, and you wouldn't be able to count to three before he asked you the all-important question that he needed to know the answer to, which was, you want a Wessel? And my mom would complain to me all the time how I ruined her first grandson because all he wanted to do was Wessel all day long. When he was four, I took him to his first hockey game. I grew up playing hockey. I love the sport. And somebody in this church who was very generous gave us front row tickets to an avalanche game. And so we were at this avalanche game. And in the third period, a fight broke out right in front of us. I mean, if there wasn't glass there, I could have reached out and grabbed the two guys fighting. And as soon as that fight broke out, my four-year-old Theo jumped up and started pounding the glass. And I look over at my wife, and she's shielding Cademan, my two-year-old's eyes, and she's yelling at me to do the same. I ignored her, and I start pounding the glass with Theo, right? The next day, I'm on the couch downstairs. Theo comes down, jumps on my lap, and says, Dad, you want to wrestle? I said, sure do. Bring it. I couldn't even finish the line. He cold-cocked me in the nose, just like he saw in that hockey game. And as I wailed in pain, my wife said, that's what you deserve. (laughs) When it comes to boys... We don't have to teach them aggressive. It's just aggressiveness. It's just in them. They just do it. And so we open the pages of Scripture, and we see that this aggressiveness that that is innate to boys is given to Adam, that he was created, and it was given to Adam in order for us to, to lead and to defend and to protect that which was good in the garden. So one day in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent shows up. And with the serpent, serpent as the manifestation of evil, all of a sudden there's a threat in the garden. This is Adam's moment. And the serpent comes to Eve, the woman, and if you don't know the story, it, it goes like this. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpents, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And then here's the enticing offer. And you will be like God. God, knowing good 
and evil. In other words, you don't need the God who created you. You don't need that God. You can be your own God. You can be your own deity. Now, knowing what we know about man, about Adam, suddenly in the garden is this legitimate threat to everything that is good in the garden. And as this threat comes, comes wandering in and begins to speak to Eve, we know in this moment that Adam is designed, like he's equipped to step up into this, into this moment, that he has the responsibility to protect his bride, that he's been put in charge of the garden to protect what is good. Like, like he's here, he's, he's been given the expectation not to eat of this tree. And we'd expect Adam to grab his lightsaber and come in and cold cock the serpent and put an end to the threat. But it doesn't happen, does it? In fact, the unimaginable happens. That Adam goes passive. And he recoils. And it's not like in this moment that Adam is off on some river adventure while Eve is at home gardening. No, Adam is standing there idly, passively, as Eve grabs for the fruit, eats of it, and then turns around and gives it to her husband to do the same. That when Adam's expected to step up, to be the man that he was created to be, to be active, to be aggressive in ways that are good, he shrinks back. And here's the deal, men. We've been living in the shadow of Adam ever since, haven't we? Rather than being strong dads, we just sit there. Instead of being loving husbands, we just sit there. And the question has to be asked, the question has to be asked, why is it that so many men, so many men are decisive and focused and effective in areas of life that don't really matter, but tentative, unaspiring, and passive in some of the areas that matter most? It's as if Adam's DNA, this passivity of Adam is in our DNA and if we don't actively fight it, that we will drift toward it. And if we're honest, I mean, come on, guys, if we're honest, we've seen it in our own lives, haven't we? I mean, just think through the questions. When is the last time that passivity showed up in your life? When's the last time that you were called to stand up, and instead of standing up, you shrunk back? When are those moments where you just check out and put it on cruise control? See, the truth of the matter is, is that all of us drift in the direction of Adam, but listen, it does not have to be our defaults. Now, when we open the pages of the New Testament, we're given a different version, a different vision of masculinity. When we open the pages of, of Scripture, of the New Testament, we, we see what it looks like to be a man in the form of Jesus. And despite the church's best effort to kind of paint Jesus as the soft and gentle poor Galilean who's good with sheep and kids, we actually, if we look, we'll see a Jesus who is a warrior who initiated. Yes, he was full of love. Yes, he was full of mercy. Yes, he was full of grace. But also in the same essence, in the same body, he was the fiercest man who ever lived. I mean, just think about this. His very being in the manger as a baby was a movement of action. That the world is totally condemned by sin 
consumed by sin, that we are totally separated from God, left to die on our own because of Adam. And in that moment, Jesus steps in, out of heaven and into this world. Years later, John, one of his best friends and disciples, writes these words looking back on his experience with Jesus. This is John 3, 17, the best verse in the Bible. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the worlds. Listen, condemning the world would have been easy, wouldn't it? God could have just passively sat back and watched the world condemn itself. I mean, Jesus could have been sent into this world, and he could have landed, and he could have said, listen, Jerry, here's everything that you've ever done in your life. Good luck. You're going to hell. Mark, here's everything that you've done in your life. Good luck, because you're going to hell. Mike, here's everything that you've ever done in your life. Good luck. You're going to hell. Condemning would have been easy. Condemning could have been passive, but, huge but, Jesus, in order that the world might be saved through him. That Jesus came in order that the world might be saved through him. That Jesus was not passively sitting by, but actively entered into the world filled with sin so that we might be saved. And as we go through the scriptures, as we follow Jesus' life and his ministry, we see him stand up in crucial moments, like before the prostitute who's about to get stones. That he's not afraid to eat with the outcasts. He heals the unclean and the crippled. That on the cross, and as, as he's taking his final breaths, he prays for those who have mocked him, who have beaten him, who are leading him to the slaughter that the Father would forgive him. As he's on the cross, he looks to the thief next to him, and he says, on this day, you will be in paradise with me. And then as Jesus takes his final breath, we realize the great moment of action in that he dies so that you and I might be forgiven. That every turn, Jesus rejects the passivity of Adam and actively engages in order to save you and me. Now listen, men, I believe that God has given each and every one of us that same heart. And there is nothing more that I would delight in than you to be able to look at the nature of God and the person of Jesus and realize, to realize that you have been called, that you have been created to be that kind of man. So let's get practical with this. If we're really going to reject passivity, then we have to change our mindset of, of how we live. We have to move from being accidental to being intentional. Let me explain this. That when it comes to being accidental, living accidentally, really what we're saying is that the life, the accidental life, is a life lived by chance. It's passively hoping that things are going to work out in this world while we never actually do anything to make it occur. It's the laissez-faire kind of approach to life that's certainly easier, but as we saw through the life of David, comes with devastating consequence. Listen, guys, men do not fail because one day they wake up and they go, you know what, I'm going to tank my marriage. I'm going to tank my kids. I'm going to tank my work. Men don't wake up one day just going, I'm going to tank everything. The reason that men fail is because we are perfectly fine living accidental lives, that we succumb 
rather easily to the urges of of self-preservation and knee-jerk reactions just like our granddaddy Adam did. And the journey out of the shadow of Adam begins with a life in intentionality. An intentional life is proactive, not reactive. It's a willingness to, to look at ourselves in the mirror and to even have others shine the mirror in front of us. Where we ask the hard questions of life, what does it look like to be loved by me? What does it look like to live life with me? What does it look like to be led by me? I mean, if I posed those questions to you and you had to answer those, what what would it look like in your life, guys? What would your wife say? What does it look like to be loved by you? What would your kids say? What does it look like to live life with you? At work, what does it look like to be led by you? How would you answer those questions? See, the intentional life is one of self-discovery. It's one of intentionally looking at the tendencies of our lives and saying, saying to ourselves, like, like, what are those tendencies that increase my influence? And what are those tendencies that tear it down? It's that moment of, of self-discovery and a willingness to look inward with a self-honesty that's honestly challenging for every single one of us. But here's the deal, men, that you have a choice. You have a choice in your life to live out the patterns of how you normally live accidentally, passively. Or you can actively choose to do and to say differently. The difference is intentionality. And the first step of being intentional is to really decide for yourself which version of masculinity are you going to follow. Are you going to go down the path of Adam and follow that version of masculinity knowing where it goes? Or are you going to intentionally decide to do something different and follow the masculinity path that Jesus paints for us? Because they are different. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 19, he, he says it like this. For as by one man, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. In other words, let me read it like this. For as by Adam's passiveness, many were made sinners. But in Christ's action, many are made righteous. See, it's because of Jesus' rejection of the passivity at Adam in every moment of his life that he paved the way for us to truly live. And not just to live, but to live abundantly. That Jesus, only Jesus, can move us out from the shadows of Adam and into the life as men that we were called to live. It's just a matter of whether you're going to actively decide, if you're going to be intentional to go that way. Because here's the reality, you can't do it by yourself, and you know you can't do it by yourself. In fact, just backstage, Jonathan and I were talking, and he said, you know, every time that I try to do it on my own, every time I try to just try harder, it doesn't work, back, doesn't work out for me. It's like a rubber band that I always come back to. The only way that we change is to realize that you and me, we need a Savior. A Savior who does not come into this world to condemn, that doesn't tell us how bad of a guy that we've been, doesn't tell us where we've messed up and the mistakes that we've made, but rather a Savior who comes into this world in order that we might be saved. 
where we look at Jesus admitting because of that reflection in the mirror that I am a sinner in need of grace. That I'm a sinner in need of grace. And so Jesus, I cry out to you because I know I can't change it on my own. I can't do it by myself. I'm strong enough to realize that. I can't do it on myself, I need you. And so I fall at the foot of the cross, praying, begging, that God would forgive me, that I would put my passivity behind me, and that I would actively pursue and trust in a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus says that that invitation is open to every one of you, not just men, but also women, because the reality is, is that every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that our only hope, our only hope is Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to close this up by simply praying for all of us and specifically for the men in this room that today would be the day that we embrace the vision of manhood that God has given us and that we would take the first step in rejecting passivity. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come into your presence. God, thankful for the vision of masculinity that you put in your scriptures. God, that you show us through Adam, Lord, a lifestyle and a destiny that leads to destruction and to death and to hopelessness. Lord, and in Jesus, you give us a vision of of what you've actually called us to be, to stand up and to step up. Lord, you, you call us up into greater things. Lord, we see that the aggressiveness that you've you've built us with is to be used to to love and to lead and to protect and to defend the gardens that you've given us. Lord, we see through through Jesus, Lord, a picture of of a man who was certainly loving and full of grace and full of mercy, and yet at the same time, Lord, who fiercely fought for those he loved. So much so, Lord, that he came into this world as a baby not condemning, but in order to save. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart here, every heart listening and watching online. Lord, that as you move today, Lord, that we would see the sinners that we are before you. Lord, that our identity in Adam is corrupt but that you give us life. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust you, that we would follow you, that that our identity would be found in you and you alone, that we are sinners saved by grace. God, I pray for those right now that you are whispering that into their hearts. I pray that you would move them to take the courageous step, Lord, that they wouldn't just passively sit, but Lord, that they would actively pursue you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Today, as we come to communion, we realize together that this is a symbol of the great act of Jesus rejecting the passivity of Adam. That at the cross, Jesus' body is broken. That his life is given for his blood to be spilt out. Not passively. He did not sit passively by. He actively gave it so that you and I might have life. 
And so today we remember by, tar- by partaking in the bread together as a church. And drinking from the cup, remembering that our sins are forgiven. God is so good. Our response in light of the way that God worked on the cross through Jesus is to give him praise. So the way that we do that is by singing and by praying together. And so if you're in need in prayer today, I would encourage you to make your way over to the prayer sign. We have people ready and willing to pray with you. Online, you can just click the button. If you're in-house, I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing praises to God together today.